Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a problem that is growing in Australia and around the world. This problem literally did not exist 40 or 50 years ago. It's a consequence of our desire to look good and feel good in our own skin. I'm talking about breast implant illness. According to one report that I read online, Australians have up to 8,000 breast augmentation surgeries per year. 8,000. That's huge. And when you think about it, it's no wonder that the reported cases of breast implant illness or BII are growing. However, not many health practitioners, especially naturopaths, have actually started to get across all of this. But I found someone. So I decided to wheel out this professional on this show to talk about it. She's one of the only naturopaths in Australia who is daring to make this issue their zone of genius. So let's pick her brain. Please welcome to the show the wonderful Alicia Hapgood. Woo! Yeah! Hi, Jules. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No pressure. I'm like, you're the only person we only can talk one. To. <laughs> That's okay. I'm kind of used to it now. I'm sure there's others. There'll be like a, a whole bunch of naturopaths right now going, me, I do this too. But you I know. Are, you're seriously the first person I've found who's put their hand up and gone, I'm confident with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's taken a little while, but um, yeah. And look, you know, you never know everything. No one ever knows everything about any illness, but uh, you know, the more I treat, treat women, the more I, I treated myself, the more I learned. So um, I was my first guinea pig, which uh, was probably a good thing. <laughs> well, I think that kind of covers the first question I was going to ask you, but maybe you can go into a bit more detail because I was going to say, tell us why you were drawn towards this niche. Is it because you had this yourself? Yeah, I did. So uh, six years ago, I myself had breast augmentation surgery. So prior to having surgery, I was really healthy. Uh, I was always interested in maintaining my health then as well. So I was 22. Um, I ate a balanced diet. I did exercise most days of the week. I had lots of energy, no major health issues. I was fit and healthy basically. So Four months after I had surgery, I started to experience some, some symptoms. And the worst one for me was chronic fatigue. So I got really, really bad fatigue. Uh, I had uh, numbness, tingling in my extremities, you know, legs and arms. I, I developed this uh, chronic post-nasal drip and sinusitis. So I just, and I, I had that for six years uh, throughout the whole time I had breast implants. I developed chronic anemia. Uh, high copper toxicity, uh, had blurry vision, so cognitive issues. Um, I ended up having hypothyroid, Graves' disease. I was sensitive to chemicals, so any smells. No one could wear perfume around me. You can't spray deodorant. Even now I'm still sensitive to these to the smells, uh, but smells, oh, it would just put me into a, a spin and I had the worst migraine and, yeah basically sinus you know, flare up. So I, you know, I had so many, many problems, um, gut issues too. I had IBS, uh, flatulence was, was really, you know, one that was really bothered me. I had lots of pain every time I ate, um, chronic, I'd go from constipation to diarrhea. Um, I just had, I ended up exercise. I became intolerant to doing any exercise because it would make me feel 10 times worse. Uh, had dryness in my mouth, constant dehydration, and uh, a lot of pain in my scapula, uh, like the thoracic um, area. So that was pretty chronic as well. So I had a lot of a lot of symptoms, and acne was also one that very much upset me because I had really bad acne, and I had perfect skin before implants. 
So not all of these developed straight away, but uh, over a period of, of that six years, I developed all of these uh, issues and there's plenty more, but I won't, I won't go into all of them because we'll be here for half an hour just talking about all my symptoms. So I went to numerous GPs. I had copious amount of blood tests done. I spent a specialist. I had MRIs, CT scans. I was even on corticosteroids at one point. I uh, went and saw naturopaths, chiropractors, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, spiritual healers, and nothing really changed. I didn't feel much better. Maybe a slight improvement, but there was no drastic improvement in in the way I felt and I decided to do my own research I went on an extreme diet so I did the Gerson therapy oh wow yeah it's really extreme if anyone knows I mean Jules I know you'll know Gerson therapy is is um pretty extreme very much a vegan diet no sodium no fats uh and you drink you know eight vegetable juices a day and i followed the autoimmune protocol it's it's mostly vacation cancer patients as, as you know but um I, he does have other other protocols so i followed the autoimmune protocol i did start to feel better because i think it was a a bit of detoxing, I suppose, was, was the main reason I felt better. I did coffee enemas every single day for two years. Um, I still, I had my energy was about 50% better, but and, uh, some of my symptoms reduced and went away, but I never felt 100% like I used to. I never felt really good. I, I couldn't go for a run anymore. I just didn't have the energy, you know. Um, so... I got to the point where I was pretty desperate when I was doing the Gerson therapy, but it impacted my life a lot. So I was, couldn't drink alcohol. I couldn't socialize very much. I had to make all my own food. It was very, very, very difficult. So it was not something I'd recommend unless you had very chronic illness. Um, and then I decided to listen to that little niggling voice in my head that kept telling me, what if it's your breast implants? what if it's your breast implants? You know, it's this little voice and all the GPs, all the doctors said, no, 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 definitely not. No, the silicon is inert. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, then, you know, I even had a MRI done on my breast to see if they were ruptured, my implants, because uh, the doctor said, well, let's just double check. Even though they were quite new, it was like six months at that stage. He said, you know, you never know. So no, they were intact according to the MRI. They, they were intact when they came out as well. So I didn't have any rupture. Um, now, so from that point, um, I found out about breast implant illness, I was Googling, I found out breast implants, uh, made a lot of other women sick. I found a group on Facebook. There was about 50,000 women in this group. 50,000. Yeah. That's well, it's worldwide American. It's run by American women. Uh, but it's a worldwide group. Uh, there is a group in Australia. There's over 3,000 women in that now as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, so this is a big problem. Mm, it's a lot bigger than we think. It's, you know, whilst this is a very, very niche uh, illness, it, uh, you know, it only affects women that have breast implants. Plastic surgery, it grows all the time. And I'm going to say that we don't want to just be looking at women. You know, what about all the men that get plastic surgery these days too? And, and even people that get any kind of implanted devices, not even just in breast implants, even IUDs could potentially set off autoimmune, uh, you know, triggers anything foreign in the body, joint replacements. I really do believe that uh, the RCA might not have exactly the same issues as breast implants because they're not made of the same material and or go into the toxicity element of breast implants. But um, all of these devices have a susceptibility of creating illness in the body because it's a foreign object. So uh, I believe that whilst uh, we're focusing on breast implants, that it shouldn't just be limited to men because I know of a, of a man who has a pec implant because of a deformity and he reckons he has breast implant illness because, you know, but he's yeah. not. I've heard of calf implants, butt implants. Yeah. And of course there's testicular implants for men who've had testicular cancer. Like there's plenty of different. Oh, yeah objects being put into bodies not just breast implants hey mm, yeah exactly and so i think i, I, I want to make it clear that it, we shouldn't just be it's only breast implants no well this is all implanted devices that can cause problems so. okay so why do breast implants seem to be the ones that are causing the bulk of the issues though 
Well, I mean, breast implant illness, uh, I suppose you can well term it as a, a period of sickness that affects multiple systems within the body and caused by silicon or saline breast implants. And, and why do they cause issues? Well, from the research I've done from treating women, uh, treating myself, I believe that it's either a combination of toxicity, so that would be all of the chemicals and the toxins that are contained within the implant shell and within the gel of the implants, the silicon implants as well. Uh, and, and it can also be underlying viral infections. So EBV and CMV can, uh, can also cause a problem. So it can be a combination of this toxicity and the viral, or it can be one or the other is what I'm finding. Now, these Breast implants, we find that they are endocrine disrupting and they cause immune dysregulation. So the silicon implants, they contain a silicon substance or polymers and they're called siloxane monomers and they mimic estrogen. So they're xenoestrogenic, right? And we know xenoestrogens are endocrine disrupting. So, you know, women can end up with a whole host of endocrine issues and including uh, menstrual cycle problems, uh, um, dysmenorrhea, uh, all host of, you know, thyroid issues, a whole host of things. And this is the problem with breast implant illness is that it is the symptoms are so vast and varied that it does make it difficult to detect unless you think of, oh, let's ask if they have breast implants. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think it's something that naturopaths lead with on their intake forms. And I was thinking about this, I'm going to change my intake form to make sure it's on there so that I know straight away if it's something that, that's going on. Because you just, you know, up until very recently, you wouldn't think to ask. Exactly. That's, that's the problem that I think um, I, even I experienced when I was being treated by a naturopath. Uh, whilst naturopaths, uh, we're fantastic. We go by uh, what we've learned in, in college and by experience. If we don't ask the right questions, then <laughs> unfortunately we're not going to get to that root cause issue, are we? So, um, you know, we can only really treat the surface issues. And I know that from my own experience, when I was sick and I was treated by a naturopath for 12 months, she was very experienced. She was fantastic at what she did. Uh, but when I said to her, I wonder if it's my breast implants, I think it could be. And she said to me, no, no, I don't think so. It's your gut. It's this, it's that. And mm. in that instance, she failed to, to really listen to her patient, I believe, and, and maybe think outside the box of, oh, this is what I know. This is what my experience tells me. And I, I've never heard of breast implant illness and it's, and I've been told that it's inert, right? You know, that's, that's what she believed. So in that instance, the patient was failed because the question wasn't, wasn't asked, nor was it believed when the patient brought it to the, the practitioner to say, hey, could it be this? So I think it's important for practitioners to have this open mind. And back then, six years ago, it was even less, less known about, you know. So the, recently, there's been a bit more awareness around the issue. It's been on television a lot. There's been a few people, quite a few people in the media that have yep. been coming out about it. So yep. Pete Evans' wife is the one that yeah, comes to mind the most. Yeah, exactly. There's been, there's been um, I think even, what was the, the program? The, uh, oh, there's, a few, there's been a few programs um, on TV of, as of late. I think Channel 7 showed a segment on it. Um, uh, I can't remember the, the program's name now. I've never watched television, but uh, <laughs> I'd only ever watch when there's a segment on breast implant illness, of course, so I'll turn it on. But there's been a lot of a lot more press around it, a lot more awareness, and, and it's fantastic because we need this growing awareness. Otherwise, practitioners are not going to ask the question. Patients are not going to ask the question. You know? So um, it's really important. Yeah. Okay, so if a naturopath is suspecting or any medical professional is suspecting that this could be the root cause of your health issues, 
what are the tests that we would then do to determine if it's the implants or not? Like, do you then go looking for autoimmune markers in the blood or what, what are you looking for? How do you actually then move from suspecting to knowing? Yeah, again, it's a tricky one because there is no such thing as, uh, as, as a test to determine breast implant illness, right? So there's not currently anything in the market that can say, let's do this test and we now know. It just doesn't exist. So the way that we can pick it up is by... Uh, you know, one, asking that question, like I said, and then we do testing around, like you said, the, the um, antibodies, the ANA, um, we check a whole host of things. Um, I like to do genetic testing with my breast implant illness patients because I find that the women that are more susceptible to developing breast implant illness are ones with the HLA genotypes and they usually have some kind of impairment in uh, like polymorphisms in their detoxification pathways. They have certain SNPs, uh, you know, such as um, MTHFR, COMPT, uh, CDS, G GSTP1, all these variations can increase your risk of developing breast implant illness. And the reason being is because implants contain numerous neurotoxins, so many different toxins, toluene, like, you know, the list goes on. And we actually don't have to, they don't actually have to describe or disclose the, the exact ingredients that are contained in breast implants. So we don't actually know for 100% the implants I had in my body, what was actually in them. Oh my we, God. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's to protect the patent. You know, it's, it's a patented product. So we actually don't know the exact ingredients. But there's benzenes, acetone, uh, methyl ethyl ketone, which is a neurotoxin, aluminium, lead, mercury, cadmi cadmium, platinum, rubber solvents, all of those things that contain within breast implants. Oh, my God. We need to start a campaign that says protect the patient, not the patient. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. That's, oh, stop it. Oh. I, know. <laughs> I know. So because of that, it's a toxic burden on the system, right? So these women that already have some genetic impairment in their detoxification pathways, phase one, phase two, maybe isn't working as it should, um, then these women are the ones that are far more susceptible to developing autoimmune diseases um, and all these other symptoms that, that I mentioned. So, um, and again, the way that we test, we, we get a lot of false negatives, false positives too. So even if you have all the presenting complaints, all those symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis after having breast implants, you might actually not show up with any of the antibodies. Uh, yeah. So this is the problem because we don't have a test for breast implant illness. We have to end up, the practitioner has to be a detective basically. And I would have, I would have EBV, CMV tested to see if there was viral, you know, viral stuff going on. I would test zinc levels, copper levels, because I find copper toxicity is a, is a really common one with breast implant illness patients uh, because we know that estrogens, high estrogen levels can increase copper and what are implants, xenoestrogens. So uh, we see that candida, of course. So stool testing is, is always a good one because, again, when the immune system is, is lowered um, because it's trying to fight these implants and wall the implants up, um, with a capsule that the body places around it to protect itself, right? And that's a fact. Every woman creates a capsule around their breast implants. Right? Is this the biofilm that everyone's talking about? Uh, I mean, the biofilm can be contained within the capsule. So um, whether you have breast implant illness or you don't have breast implant illness, if you have implants, your body has tried to wall it up. So that in itself is the, an immune response. So the highest complication of breast implants from a medical perspective is capsular contracture. What causes capsular contracture? Well, they don't know, but the reason that you get it is your body creates this literally scar tissue around the implant to try and protect the body and kill the implant. And so what happens is that this, the body squeezes the implant and you get this capsule is squeezing it and then you'll get a rupture, uh, then you'll get hardening, you'll get pain around your breast area, you'll get a deformity, like the, it'll look a bit deformed on one side because it's been squashed by the body. So 
that's really common. And women might not even experience uh, symptoms of breast implant illness, but they could have capsule contracture. So that's a really common, common um, occurrence with breast implants. Uh, I myself had grade two capsular contractor when they came out. So I had a little bit of pain with my implants the last six months, but they looked normal from the outside. Yeah, right. And I think it is really important just to mention that uh, because a lot of people get told like if they're not leaking, they're fine. But it's not just about whether they're leaking or not, is it? It's, it's so much more than that. That's correct. So my implants were completely intact. There was no leakage, no rupture, no gel bleed. And that's another thing. Implants can be intact and they can actually gel bleed. So the inside of the implants, this is another fact. This is, you know, plastic surgeons will tell you that it does happen, that they can take this implant out and then it's like sticky on the outside, this tacky, sticky, gooey stuff that's sort of seeped through, but they can't actually find any puncture. So what's happened is that our body is really, really hot on the inside, you know, it's, it's not, not room temperature. So we know that. And these plastics, when they go inside of us, they heat up as well. And our body is constantly trying to break these implants down because it's not meant to be there. So it recognizes foreign objects. So eventually it degrades the outer shell a little bit. And then for some reason or another, the stuff, the, the, or the gooey stuff inside tends to seep out. So that as well can cause its own issues, but women don't necessarily have to have a rupture. So like I said, it can just be, um, a seeping through of those toxins. So I had small amounts of uh, silicon in my lymph nodes, but my implants were completely intact. Wow. Yeah. So they're, you know, very, very small amount. I had inflammation and um, in, the, in my lymph as well from the pathology testing mm-hmm. that, that was done when I had them taken out. My implants look perfect though. I could, I've got them, you know, got them in my house. I kept them. <laughs> sure, <laughs> the, nurse, <patience>. <laughs> the, the nurse said to me, what are you going to do? Hang it up on the wall? And, yeah. <laughs> and I went, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, but you know, I just, I just wanted to, to make sure that they were all intact and, uh, you know, to check them myself. They were a little bit more yellow, which was funny because they go in like this white kind of color, but they were mm. yellow. So, and they came out again, the heat, you know, could it be the heat from the body that's degrading it? Um, so yeah, look, the reason that we get sick and it's not just from a rupture is all the things I mentioned, the toxicity, the heavy metals that are in the outer shell of these implants, not just the inside. They're in the shell. So even if you have saline implants and you think you're safe and you're told they're safer, they're not safer. They're not any safer. The only, the only uh, potential reason they could be better is that if they rupture, you won't have silicon traveling to every, you know, areas of the body, to the brain, to, you know, lymph nodes, um, any organ the silicon could potentially travel to. So they are only safer from that perspective, but do they stop you from potentially getting breast implant illness? Definitely not. Uh, So there's also the saline have their own issues of growing mold inside. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Google it. You'll see photos of these moldy implants. And uh, there's like, so what happens is saline implants contain a valve and this valve can be a little bit faulty sometimes. And even if it's not uh, deflated, the implant's still intact, it can let a tiny amount of fluid in or out of the valve. So then, of course, there's bacteria, there's opportunistic pathogens, fungus, whatever it is, they then grow inside the implant. So a lot of these women with saline implants, they get them taken out and they've got these floaties in their implant, and they're, but they're perfectly intact. So that's, you know, saline are not immune to, to having their issues. They definitely have that. Um, you know, and like you said, the biofilm as well. So, you know, you've got that potential uh, bacteria pathogen growing around the inside of the implant that could be making women sick as well. And there's, it's almost impossible for us to get in there with any antibiotics or any herbs that are going to kill it off. Or because how are you going to get penetrate that thick scar um, calcified tissue that's, can, that's around the implant? it's just not really going to happen so goodness all right uh now talk to me about the surface of the implants because i read something recently about the implants with the textured surface uh having their set of issues as well Mm. so the textured breast implants are more likely to cause a type of lymphoma so a type of cancer which is 
breast implant associated anaphylactic large cell lymphoma. I should make you say that like five <laughs> times fast. It's a bit of a mouthful, mouthful. isn't it? <laughs> uh, so in March of 2017, the FDA uh, issued a, a warning confirming that breast implant, implants can cause this ALCL type of breast cancer lymphoma. It's a, a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and, and they, they are more associated with the textured implants than they are with the smooth implants. I had the textured implants, so I had the higher rate of developing that lymphoma. Uh, the textured ones are the reason that, that this happens is that the surface, the reason, the way that they're textured, and the reason they, they put these textured implants in is because, like I said before, capsular contracture. That is a, that is a higher, uh, in, there is a higher incidence of capsular contracture in the smooth implants. So they put this textured surface on to try and stop the body forming this hard capsule around it. So it's like harder to grip. I think that was their theory at least, but it didn't, it, it, it has like a 2% uh, difference in the rate of capsular contracture. The textured ones, you know, really does nothing. Mm. Um, so these textured implants, the surface of the textured implants, they kind of feel a bit furry almost. And what happens is that over time, the body breaks it down, doesn't it? So these little textured particles, they go and travel into the lymph nodes. And then that's why they cause this type of cancer. And it's because they're, they're in the lymph. Oh, wow. Um, that's nasty. Okay. But the, same, the smooth implants are not immune to having these problems because they have been found in cases of the uh, smooth implants as well. It's just that they found it at a much higher rate with the textured. And any plastic surgeon, if you ask them about um, ALCL, they'll tell you, oh, it's such a rare thing to happen. It's really, really rare. But I read that there has been, there's been 8,000 deaths from it. So to me, that's too many. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not that rare. And like, because there's so many people still getting implants every year, like, then these things aren't going to be as rare for long. Exactly. That's the problem. The more that this grows in popularity, the more we're going to be seeing these types of cancers occurring. Uh, you know, and it makes me it makes you wonder. You know, they always say, "Oh, breast implants don't cause cancer." Well, then maybe they haven't found them associated with breast cancer or any yeah. of the other types of cancers. But really, do they really not cause cancer? When we found that there's this one associated, it, to me, I don't know. I. I I just can't see how they can exclude any other cancer now. It's a case of we don't know what we don't know until down the track when we can look back at what's happened to people, unfortunately. And that's usually the case, you know. What was it back in the day? Smoking was good for us as well. Yeah, yeah. apparently it helped with bronchitis or something. Yeah, all this. <laughs> and you see ads of doctors recommend this brand, you know. It's just... Yeah. Uh, 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 that's exactly what this is, unfortunately. Uh, we'll get to a stage, hopefully one day, where uh, this will be like the new smoking. You know, yeah. it, it'll be associated with, oh, well, we know it causes problems. But again, they still have cigarettes on the market for sale, so I can't see them removing breast implants anytime soon off the market because, unfortunately, it makes way too much money. Yeah. And look, do you, do you think, because you've gone through all the different types of implants themselves, do you think there's any one type of implant that is more dangerous than another? Like if, if someone's listening to this going, oh, I've got those, those ones with the, you know, the textured surface or I've got mm. saline ones with the valve, like should people be worried if theirs is a particular type? Not necessarily because I believe all breast implants can cause illness and I've, I've seen it. Um, but they, there is a lot of women with these newer implants that they are saying are safer. So they're called gummy, they're the gummy bed implants and they're kind of the consistency is a bit like turkish delight if you cut them in half this was actually how it was described to me as my from by my surgeon because i had these implants put in and my surgeon said at the time said to me these are the safest they're new on the market they're not a new brand but they were just a new type of implant they were still made by allegan which is the, one of the main uh, companies that produces breast implants allegan and mentor are the two brands so allegan developed this new brand uh, this new uh implant and it's the safest because it, if it was to leak then it's not going to travel all, all around the body uh, and fortunately those breast implants we've seen 
Uh, a lot of women with those breast implants have a higher susceptibility to getting sick. It's for some reason, it, they appear to potentially be a bit more toxic is what we're thinking. I don't have any evidence to back that up because we don't actually know what's inside all these implants because we, we don't you know, to have the privilege of being told. Uh, but we've just seen a higher incidence of women with these newer implants that are meant to be safer with women actually getting sick from them. So I would say all these new gummy bear implants are not so fantastic. And when there's actually a YouTube video uh, on that I've watched that is really quite scary of these exact implants that I had when they rupture in the body and they say, oh, they don't break away. The silicon all stays together. So there's no potential um, issue of it traveling into the lymph, blah, blah, blah. I've seen a video of a surgeon taking these implants out and when they're ruptured, unfortunately when they're inside the body they don't actually stick together like they claim because of the heat so it actually does break apart and these implants are all gooey and sticky and it's pretty nasty stuff mm, but wow. it, but that's a bit eye-opening because they were sold to me and to so many other women as oh these are the safest and they all it all glues together and if it breaks then you're completely safe so unfortunately those can still cause systemic health problems too what about people who are having their surgeries done overseas, like in places like Thailand? Is it, is that, you know, does it have its own set of problems or what are they using over there? Does it make a difference? I really don't believe that there is any difference. It's, uh, it's uh, that question of uh, where did you have your implants done? Did you have them over in Thailand or overseas? I get I, when people find out that I was sick for my implants or that, you know, breast implant on us, one of the first questions I get is, oh, did you have it done overseas? Because people assume that you know, the, the professional, uh, the plastic surgeons maybe you know, I'm as good at their job or whatever else, um, I don't know. I didn't get them mine done overseas. I had it done with a really reputable surgeon in Sydney. However, I don't believe it makes any difference unless you get an infection at the time of surgery. That's, yeah. that's the only risk uh, to having them overseas. And maybe they, are, they don't look aesthetically as good because maybe the surgeon doesn't have the right skill that a, the surgeon in Australia has. Uh, but, you know, that, that's all a surgical risk, not necessarily a breast implant illness risk. Uh, any infection, any pathogen, bacteria that is introduced at the time of surgery is always uh, a risk. Um, but that can be introduced at any hospital anywhere in the world. So uh, could it potentially be a higher rate if you went overseas? Yeah, potentially, if they are not as clean with their instruments and their uh, surgical room. But the amount of women getting sick uh, in Australia as opposed to the ones that had the surgery overseas, there's, there's no, no difference there. It really doesn't make a difference for breast implant illness. Yeah, right. Talk to me about breast implant removal because we need to start talking about explant surgery, I guess. Uh, yeah. Look, because what I've read and, and, you know, in my own research it's not a simple procedure because like, I'm sure people will be like, well, you know, if they're causing you problems, just whip them out. But it's not that simple, is it? It's not. So I'm glad you asked about that because it's not as simple as just getting them out and, and they're all done. The, the way that a surgeon has to remove it is very specific. And unfortunately, a lot of surgeons don't have the skill, don't have the experience at, at removing the implants and block. So it needs to be removed end block, not capsulectomy. So end block is the difference between the two is that end block, the implants are removed with that scar capsule around it all together at the same time, right? And not just capsulectomy. So the capsulectomy, the difference is they take the implants out and then they take the capsule out separately. It's like a you know, two-stage process. The reason we don't want to do that is, number one, the implants could actually be ruptured inside the capsule. So it's an intracapsular rupture or an extracapsular rupture. So there's two different types of rupture too. So if you have an intracapsular rupture and the surgeon cuts, you open, cuts, cuts the implant and the capsule open whilst it's inside your body, what can happen? 
the silicon can actually leak into the cavity, into the chest wall. The silicon can leak and then, then getting the silicon out of the body is a difficult process. That YouTube video I mentioned before, the guy, the, the surgeon gets a cloth and shoves it in the chest wall cavity and tries to get all the silicon out of the chest wall. It's, it's messy. It's horrible. And there is, there is a huge risk and possibility that silicon is still left in the body because what's the, what's the possibility of you getting every skeret of silicon out when that happens, right? So we don't want that. We want to make sure it's N-block removal. And the problem with N-block removal is that it's a lot more difficult for the surgeons to, to perform and it takes a lot longer. So it's really easy for a surgeon to do a capsulectomy. They just rip it open, grab the implant out, and then try and remove all the scar capsule um, as well. Um, but that's why it's really important for women that are sick to, oh, and also some, some surgeons don't actually remove the capsule at all. And then what happens is that these women remain sick so you can stay sick if you don't remove the capsule. And the reason being is that all these toxins, bits of silicon and you know, biofilm, all of that stuff that could potentially be within the capsule. And I know I had silicon within my capsule, like in, within actually the scar tissue because the pathology confirmed it. Um, it was inside the capsule. So that that surface on the outside had actually traveled somewhere into my body. And if, if I didn't have my capsule removed, then I potentially still had silicon, still had a biofilm in my body that would make me continue to be sick. So some women, when they don't know about end block and how important it is, if they're not part of these groups, support groups, and they don't know, and they have this surgery done, they still stay sick. So stay, stay sick and they don't know why. And then they find out, Oh crap my surgeon didn't remove the capsule. So then what do they have to do? Have another surgery done for another surgeon to remove the capsule from their body because the surgeons say, oh, it'll degrade over time, but that could take you 10 years for that capsule to break down. And who wants, who wants that? No one wants to stay sick. So you have to have another surgery, unfortunately. So it's really important to have a, have a fantastic surgeon that one, believes you, or even if they don't believe you, that will promise you and that will take photos of the, of the implants being removed uh, and block with the capsule still around them. So I know my surgeon, when he removed my implants, he took photos of the implant on the, the table with the, with the capsule still around my implants in like the little you know, Petri dish thing. So yeah. um, not very pretty photos, got to say, mm. but... <laughs> All, a little bit bloody and, and lovely looking, but you know, I went to a surgeon that actually believes in breast implant illness, and he doesn't like to put implants in anymore. He does it very, very rarely. Um, his thing is fat transfer, and I wanted to mention fat transfer for the women out there that are desperate to have bigger boobs because it is an alternative to breast implants. And whilst I don't endorse fat transfer and I don't believe that it's something that every woman would, you know, that wants boobs to go out and do, definitely not. But patients that have a deformity, patients that have a, uh, um, that have had cancer and had a mastectomy and, you know, they, they want something there instead of the implants, then fat grafting or fat transfer is a really, is a really good one. So the surgeon I went to, that's his specialty now. He focuses on uh, fat grafting and he pioneered it in Australia. So, um, so that's different to the old fat injections, isn't it? Where they take the fat out of a different part of your body and then inject it in. Well, pretty much the same thing, really, but they've kind of perfected the technique. So they have, okay. they have to do this whole process. They've got to clean the fat and they, they like wash the fat and they do all this stuff to it. I, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'm not a surgeon, but they do all this stuff and then they inject it into the breast. Yeah. Yeah. I, is that, does it also become like reabsorbed? Like do you have to keep going back to get the fat transfer done again? So that's the issue with the fat transfer is that there's no guarantee as to how much it's, your body is going to retain because sometimes the body will, will reabsorb 20, 30, 40, 50%. 
So it very much is, it varies from person to person. Uh, but I have seen so many great results, so many women who would have been concave, who would have been deformed uh, after their implants came out that have had fat transfer. And whilst they may not have huge breasts, they're not double T's and you know, they have one but they've, they've been able to get one cup size, an A cup or a B cup um, from their natural breast tissue. Um, and then they're able to have some kind of natural breast rather than being concave because that's the other issue is that implants can actually press uh, the rib cage inwards and cause a deformity, which I actually experienced as well. So my rib cage was pushed in from the pressure of the implants because, as you know, this, you know, where your lungs are, the ribs are quite malleable and they're quite soft and they're able to expand and contract. So with all that pressure from the implants uh, pressing against the, the chest wall, uh, it, it can actually concave the the ribs the rib cage as well sometimes my surgeon told me over time that the the ribs do expand over years back to their natural place but yeah. that's not a guarantee either yeah right Whew, it's a lot to take in <laughs> <laughs> i know i know it is all right how can you help women who are going in for explant surgery like what do you do with them before and after so I would start, well, with a few things. So before surgery, we want to try and reduce the toxic load as much as we can because we know that you're going to be on drugs, you're going to be on endone, you're going to have morphine, there's, you know, and, and you're going to be on Anesthetic, yeah. Yeah, anesthetic's like, oh, there's just a lot of drugs. I took a lot and it was horrible, you know, but you've got to do it because the pain is quite unbearable and it's a lot more painful to remove the implants and put them in um, because, you know, mine was stuck to my chest wall. So my chest wall had to be scraped um, to get all the, the capsule out. So it, it is a very, quite an invasive procedure and it, hence the pain. So you will take those drugs and you want to take them, believe me. So, <laughs> um, so in, in order to prep the body, so you have a better recovery I do like to do an anti-inflammatory diet. I like to you know, make sure reducing as much inflammation as we can before. So I'd be off the dairy, the gluten, um, reducing caffeine, uh, reducing red meat consumption and sticking to, you know, a white meat based, um, really clean diet, no processed foods, a very, very, very uh, quite strict anti-inflammatory diet before surgery for the months leading up and um, i would also be taking some liver support supplements so whether you're you know taking some herbs or you want to be taking um some choline b vitamins taurine milk thistle and astrocysteine uh, so any of those sorts of things that are going to support the body now when you have surgery i do recommend taking some homeopathics because you can't actually take many supplements while you're on all those hardcore drugs because you could have a reaction to you know, certain herbs we know can cause a, a reaction with medication. So to ensure that there's no reaction, I use homeopathics and I found they worked really, really well. I think I used a combination of calendula, um, arnica, and uh, what was what did I use? I think I used poke, poke root as well. Um, a combination of these things for to assist the body just with the healing because again you know arnica and um is going to help with the bruising because a lot of women will have a lot of bruising after the surgery um and then once they're off the the really strong drugs then i would slowly slowly ease into detoxification if you go too fast then you're going to experience an exasperation of symptoms so we have to go fairly slowly by first detoxing all the drugs that you've taken. So again, the same kind of nutrients that we talked about and treatment protocols are going to be very different from one person to another. As we all know, everyone is very individual. Everyone's needs are very, very individual and specific. So if a patient has mostly a lot of gut issues, then I'm going to give them gut support and liver support but i and but i always make sure that we want to test so do they have the underlying viral infection do they have issues with detoxification um what is the issue is it mostly endocrine based do they have issues with their you know hormonal system do we need to detox estrogen so that's the big one that comes up too i do a lot of yeah. 
with uh, the endocarbinols and the DIM. So those supplements I use quite a lot to reduce uh, the xenoestrogens and get the estrogen levels uh, back to a you know, normal um, ratio. Uh, also, a lot of the time, iron will potentially be low, so you'll want to supplement that after surgery because you're always going to lose a bit of blood during surgery. So sometimes uh, iron's a good one. Zinc is a good one, tissue repair. Um, and again, it's, it's very individual with whatever other supplements that, that you want to take based on the, the person's presenting complaints. But infrared saunas uh, really, really help so many of my patients to detox and to feel a bit better after surgery because, as we you know, know sweating is it's another way that we can release toxins. So the infrared saunas, my patients find a lot of relief with that. Uh, I still do them twice a day or twice a week, um, most weeks I'll be in an infrared sauna just because I know my detoxification pathways are impaired. I know I don't detox properly. So I um, found a lot of relief with it too. So infrared saunas I find really important and they're better than the traditional steam saunas. So uh, we want to, we want to go on the infrared. Yeah. Wow. So many things. (laughs) Yes. There's the few. Oh, also, I thought I'd mention the lymph system is an important one to get moving a lot oh, of the time. Yeah, of course. The lymph is really congested. So um, where the implants lie, there's a lot of there's you know where a lot of the lymph travels right all around the breast, um, armpits. Uh, it's, there's a lot of lymph um, lymph pathways, I suppose you call them, that you know go to different areas and back to the heart, right? So. Uh, I had thermal imaging done before I had my implants removed. I had them, I had it done six weeks before, and it really just cemented it in my mind that my implants were making me sick, because the amount of chronic inflammation that that was picked up on the thermal imaging was just off the Richter, and all my inflammation was under my armpits, around my breasts, around my shoulders. Uh, it was really chronic and the report came back from uh, the doctors interpret the thermal imaging report. It came back as I had systemic inflammation as well. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And musculoskeletal and fascia uh, issues is what they said. So um, all my musculoskeletal pain has gone after explant. Yeah. That's I had yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely gone, especially like my shoulders are heaps, heaps better because that weight, even just the weight of the implants, they're quite heavy. So. I was going to ask, how are you now? Like how much of, how much of this has been reversed and how much of this are you still living with? Mm, so it's a process. I don't expect to be healed overnight. I only had this surgery done just over four months ago now. So this is not, a, this was done five years ago and I'm, I'm fine now. Um, this was, is still fairly recent. So I've had a lot of my symptoms disappear or go away. I woke up the next day without any neck and shoulder pain that I had chronically, like really, really bad. I went to chiropractors. I had massages weekly, like the you know deep tissue. Uh, and I woke up from surgery and I thought, oh, hang on, maybe it's just the drugs <laughs> because it's gone but it stayed that way. So for some reason, my body just had this release of the, whether it was the weight, whether it was a scar tissue that was pulling on different nerves and whatever else, I don't know, but um, that relieved straight away. My energy is so much better. I can't even tell you how, how that has increased. Just the fatigue levels I was experiencing before, I would be struggling to walk up a small hill at the end of my street just to walk home with my dog. It was, it was a huge struggle to the point where, you know, I also teach yoga. I had to cut back my yoga. I uh, couldn't practice yoga anymore. So I, my energy is just increased tenfold. So I now have this like, oh my gosh, this is what it actually feels like to, to function properly and be able to go for a walk and um, to actually do some yoga. So it's, it's amazing. Just the energy was the really, really big thing for me. Uh, I, I, I had chronic anxiety before, so anxiety was a big one and I'm still dealing with a bit of that and it's, you know, anxiety is not for any particular reason. It just comes quite often on its own and I know it's because I have a copper toxicity. 
Yes. So yep. that's causing my anxiety. And I've been bringing the, the more I'm treating myself for copper toxicity, the less, the less that's an issue. Um, my gut was really, really bad before I mentioned I had so many IBS symptoms that has completely resolved. I no longer get cramping when I eat. I no longer have terrible flatulence. Um, I no longer go from constipated to, to diarrhea that has alleviated that's gone completely gone I have normal stools now it's amazing and so that it was just like wow okay that <laughs> went straight away because we love a good poo oh, oh, <laughs> naturopaths we? love a good poo <laughs> we love a good poo we love I don't know, naturopaths we love talking about poo and everyone was like oh gosh you gotta do that for your job I love it it's great <laughs> People are like, oh, I won't bore you with the details of dinner. I'm like, no, please, I can Tell eat me. and talk about poo. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, we're pretty funny, but it, it's excite it's excites us when it's a good poo. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, also I'll mention you want to bind toxins so a zeolite clay is quite important when people mm. are detoxing uh, a pur- purified one you know, that, that I use is, is really good so that helps to relieve some symptoms too yeah. but my symptoms are so much better so much better so many things have gone down um, I don't have elevated ANA anymore my thyroid is rebalancing so it's coming back into normal ranges it's not 100% there yet but I expect my recovery to be 12 months. This, this is not going to happen in a few months. It's not yeah. going to be the case. So this is, this is a, I've had a chronic illness for six years. So um, the idea that I'm better, 100% better overnight it w- it would be ridiculous to assume. So it's a process, but I know every week I feel better. Sometimes I have a bit of a, a uh, flare-up of symptoms, but usually if I've gotten myself a bit stressed about something, as we know, stress can contribute. So uh, mm-hmm. it's all. I always link it back to oh, okay, I probably didn't deal with that very well. I let myself get pretty stressed out, and then I get some, you know, some pain back in my shoulder or something. But it's short lived, whereas before it wasn't. So uh, yeah. it's it's real improvement, and my patients also are seeing so many improvements. I have to say that. As of yet, I have not come across a single woman with breast implant illness that took their implants out and didn't see some improvement at all. Wow. So, Big no, call. All right. Yeah. Not to say that that, doesn't, that isn't out there, but I haven't come across that personally. Um, some women who take them out and don't get better at all, they obviously need a lot more support. So they need to go and see an naturopath. They need to go and have and take the right supplements and eat the right diet. So I think that's a big contributing factor to women not getting sick. If yeah. they're not if they're not doing things they need to do and seeking professional advice from someone, then they are likely to remain sick. And it sounds like explant surgery is only one part of the repair work that needs to be done. And the, yeah, so much more needs to happen to get someone back to homeostasis, back to normal. Mm, exactly exactly that's it needs a lot of work and that's why i always say go see a professional go see your naturopath make sure that you're getting support because you know if you're not trained to know these things then you're going to struggle and you're going to remain sick you know you might wake up like me and i've heard a lot of other women wake up with a few symptoms that are gone overnight but um, you're not going to see all of your symptoms go away without some assistance from a, a health practitioner yeah cool all right well there's probably a few people listening to this right now who actually would love your help so can you please let our lovely listeners know how people can work with you and how they can find you online yeah sure so i um i consult uh, with patients all over australia mostly by uh, skype so um, my business is Alicia Have Good Naturopath. So my, my website is aliciahavegoodnaturopath.com. I have a Facebook page, Instagram page. Um, again, it's all Alicia Have Good Naturopath. I also run a support group. I only just started it the other week. So it's a, it's a nice little group at the moment where um, women with breast implants can join and they can get a few tips on natural healing techniques and things you can do to help yourself before and after surgery. So um, that's a little group I've just started recently. So it's called Healing Breast Implant Illness Naturally. There's a lot of support groups out there and this isn't a support group to find out about breast implant illness. This is one to deal with how do I heal now that I've 
I know about breast implant illness. So um, I also run that group. So any woman that are listening are welcome to uh, join that one as well. Yeah. Also, there's probably a few mums listening in today whose daughters are keen to get a boob job. What would you say to them? Like, you know how how hell-bent kids can be once they get an idea in their head that that's what they want? How can we raise this (coughs) with daughters and where can we send the mums and the daughters for more information so they can make a more informed choice? Yeah, that, that's a, a big one. Um, changing your teenage daughter's mind about having bigger breasts is always going to be a difficult one. Or um, anything. Changing their mind about anything yeah. for that. Yeah, one. that's true. Huh? Very true. Um, and especially if they have it in their head that, you know, they aren't beautiful enough or they won't get a boyfriend or all these, these insecurities that are lingering deep down because that's, that's what it comes back to. This is all a self love journey for women with breast implants why did you need to get them in the first place and why are these teenagers needing to get breast implants that's that's what needs to be uncovered in an individual first what why do they feel that they can't accept and love their self the way that they are why do they need to do something so serious and drastic such as pretty serious surgery carries huge risks, you know. Um, This is not just putting on a bit of lipstick to, you know, to make your face feel a little prettier or you know whatever whatever reason you're seeking makeup for. But this is this is major surgery. So really I would encourage any mother or any teenager to join these support groups and then show this teenage daughter all of this information. There are so many resources on these support groups, heaps of resources. Um, there's lots of documents that are saved in the support group um, files. Um, I would encourage mothers to go through, have a read of some of these things, show their daughters, show their daughters uh, what the body creates around the implants, show them the photos. It, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, it won't traumatize them, but it might deter them. Uh, then I would also encourage potentially seeing a psychologist, seeing a natural health practitioner that uh, deals with the mental and emotional aspects of, of health issues and healing. And I myself work a lot with this with my patients because I know that in order to heal, you can't just address the physical. You know, we, we are uh, affected by our mind. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of healing our mind, you know, our, our willpower. Uh, that's really important. So really you want to get down to what the core beliefs are as to why these young girls want implants. What's the core belief? Is it, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Um, no one's going to love me unless I have implants or bigger breasts. You know, what is the core belief? And then you need some help with a practitioner or someone that knows how to help to reprogram these core beliefs. Um, you know, I, I would definitely work with someone on that. I would also encourage things like becoming a bit more introspective with maybe journaling, with doing some yoga. And I know if it's a young teenager, they're probably going to be opposed to these things, but um, <laughs> these are the sorts of tools that are important. These are the ones I use with my patients the, you know, that are scared to get their implants taken out, but they know that they're going to make them sick. And they're petrified to get them taken out because they're so worried about their mental health. You know, how am I going to feel about myself? Am I going to have depression because I don't have boobs anymore? Am I, is my boyfriend going to love me? Is he going to leave me? These are all really big fears of a lot of patients. And this is also relatable to those, you know, teenage girls that are wanting their breasts done. What, why is it? You know, that's what you have to come back to. And I think that seeing um, a therapist or a natural health practitioner that specializes in, in dealing with these sorts of things, body dysmorphia is, um, is, is a key thing to addressing that. Yeah. Yeah. So much to think about there as well. Oh, all right, Alicia. Thank you so, so very much for being such a trailblazer in the field of naturopathy. 
and I really wish you well. I don't think you're going to be short of clients, but I kind of wish you were. <laughs> I kind of wish I was too. <laughs> I wish your job didn't have to exist right now, but it does. And it, it really sounds like you've done so much research and put so much time and effort and love into this. So thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you so much, Jules. I am so happy I get the opportunity to talk and bring some more awareness to both patients and to other health practitioners. So I am really thankful and grateful for the opportunity to um, speak with you. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Yay. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health and join our pumping Facebook group. Just search for Straight Talking Natural Health or follow the links in the show notes. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.